on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are getting our Riot Girl on in We Are Lady Parts on Channel 4. Finally getting to see The Nevers, which comes to Sky this week, and watching Catherine Kelly try to prove her innocence in Series 2 of ITV's Innocent. And if that weren't enough, Catherine herself stopped by the podcast to tell us a little bit more about that one. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a small, slightly leaky life raft in the storm-wracked seas of peak TV. And uh, joining me as we once more attempt to steer the good ship pilot through the squall are my two shipmates manning the tiller, whatever the fuck that is. You'll find legendary TV pundit Boyd the Boson Hilton. Hello, Boyd. Hello. I don't know what a boson is, but you are one. This is it brilliantly contrived. I don't know what you're talking about, but carry on. <laughs> Excellent. And in charge of the... Folksle is a woman who this week comes to us live, not from a random shared working space in inner city Manchester, but rather direct from a rocking chair in her spare room. It's Terry, the Nana White, except she's no longer in the rocking chair because her Wi-Fi kept cutting out. So she's now moved to the living room, which has an unfortunate echo. But please bear with her. Hi, Terry. <laughs> oh! Um, what's with the boat stuff? What's with I the don't boat know. Stuff? I don't know. In my defence, it was late and I couldn't think of anything. So you know, is there a boat themed show we're doing that I haven't that I've thought yes. about? <laughs> no, there's nothing really nautical coming uh, up. There's nothing vigil, boat related. Vigil, the forthcoming submarine boat. When when we do that in about yeah. six months' time, then you okay. can talk about it. Then. We'll go. Yeah. I don't even know what a folksle is. It's got a lot of apostrophes in it. I know that, but I don't know what it is. Vigil, okay. which looks like line of of duty and mm. das boot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what's not to love what about that? What more could that? you want? Well, exactly. With Saran Jones. Yeah. yeah With Saran Jones. Okay. A procedural daft boot. Tell me that that hasn't, you know, always been a genius idea. I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, 100%. So I'm assuming we have not been filling our viewing schedules over the last seven days with uh, nautical submariner dramas. Uh, so what have we been watching? Well, so I watched, after last week's gushing um, review of Motherland, season three i decided to go back and re-watch all the other motherlands so i re-watched season one season two and season three uh, all over again and i stand by my comments that it season three is an entirely different brilliant beast i still think it's the best yet it's actually season one i was like oh god i like the characters have changed loads the the Humor's different, but I I think each season actually has a very different kind of sensibility about it. I still think it's genius. I still think the writing is outstanding. The knit episode again. I keep talking about this knit episode, but that episode, just like episode one of season two, which is the one where Meg first arrives and and uh, uh, they go and get yes, with Alexa, play some happy hardcore. <laughs> play some happy hardcore <laughs> on the whole bus incident. Um, they do first episodes really. really Really, really incredibly, um, incredibly well. And the Joanna Lumley episode of oh, yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Incredible, where she plays yeah. Amanda's mum. So, and you, I mean, this is what I love about it, right? Just from those scenes with Amanda's mum, played by Joanna Lumley, you learn so much about how she became the woman she is. About mm. uh, they basically crammed in 20 years of how she became <laughs> like that. Yeah in like two scenes with Joanna Lumley. It's so smart. It's so brilliantly done. So uh, yeah, all three seasons this week. And I watched the final season of Girls again for no other reason than I'm an obsessive weirdo. So could could I just mark this occasion? 
Can I mark this occasion? Terry has watched a shitload of TV this week, and it's actual proper <laughs> telly for, I'm saying, the first time in this podcast history. So some sort of trophy, possibly. Oh, you mean that I? There's no talk of a math stinger, and there's sure, no talk sure. of, um, of police procedural. You know, well, well. Oh God! Well, yeah. That you mentioned that because oh God. there is on Saturday nights now. There are a couple of what I would call shows of a similar ilk. So there's um, uh, look singer. What's it called, Boyd? Singer. What do you look? Oh like? yeah. Um, what singer do you look like? No, is a show. The, um, what? Oh God! I'm gonna have to Google it. I no, can see the, um, your voice. I can see I your can voice. I can see your voice. Christ! And you have to guess from the way they dress. They they're each given a persona, um, and you have to guess which of them are the real good singers and which one are the bad singers. And they what, would I lie to you with music? Yeah, kind of. But then there's a uh, there's another thing with Vernon Kay. That one's Paddy. Paddy um, McGuinness. This one, what is it called, Boyd? A uh, game of talents. Game of talents, right? Game and of talents. I'm from in. Somebody will come on looking like a bit of a twat normally, and they go, "Are they?" And there's a list, and it's like dog trainer, circus clown, like, and you have to guess what talent they have from how they look. And I'm like, how did these two shows end up on two different channels? Pretty much on the same night. Or um, on television. When it's the exact same fundamental concept. And yeah, also, and I understand it's it's, it's part of that mass singer vibe, right? Which is um, yeah. the, the, the contradiction between how people look and assumptions we make about people's... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but they're both just mad. That game of talents one is mental. Show me, Anna, yeah. show me your... They go, show me your lungs. <laughs> and then they sing and then some woman comes on like me and start singing Celine Dion and absolutely massacres it. And Amanda Holden's there with with um my memory's shot to shit this morning. Amanda Holden's there with what's his face? Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr, who is brilliant. Hammond. Yeah. Isn't Jimmy Carr great jokes? though? Oh, okay. I think he's taking the piss out of the thing live as it, in, in real time. And I think that's that's kind of a, what makes it work, really, that he is commenting constantly on the absurdity of the whole situation. James's face, have, by the way. <laughs> it's well, a well, they, James, you're going to love the twist. The twist is on this panel, <laughs> by the way, this panel don't really do anything because there's contestants yeah. who have to guess and they win or lose this money. There's these random celebrity panel who just sit there taking the piss. And on that panel every week is a different singer. And the last person they end up with and decide whether it's a good voice or a bad voice, that celeb has to do a duet with that person, come what may. So if they choose a terrible singer, that 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 poor singer, it was like <laughs> Louise Nerdin the other week, has to then sing with them live on telly. I, 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 I can't even. Anyway, yeah. that's what. So I have been watching yeah. that, and and thank you for prompting me to remember with your uh, backhanded I thought, compliment. I thought what you were going to remember, and I'm a mate. It was the Brits. Was the incredible <gasps> Brits moment? Yes, see, oh, yes, my yes. God. Oh. I, so okay. So I need to ask you a question. I've been canvassing people for this. The line of duty skit at the beginning of the Brits was it a complete genius or b the most toe-curlingly excruciating thing you've ever seen, or was it both combined? Yeah, both combined. Yeah, yeah. Both. It was great. Okay, it was fun. Yeah. I'm glad. It was fun. It was a fun skit. It wasn't like fucking, you know, it's not trying to be 40 Towers or anything. It's just a, it was a fun skit to open the, 
That was an interesting point of comparison. They're not creating the greatest comedy in the history of television. They're doing a good skit to open a topical skit. Jackie Weaver, yes. Yeah, with Jackie Weaver and two people from Line of Duty. What's not? Yeah, that was it. Was fun. But the real, but the incredible moment of the Brits was the Ollie Alexander Elton John performance of It's a Sin, Pet Shop Boys song It's a Sin, for Elton's AIDS charities and inspired by Russell T Davis. And basically it was absolutely incredible. I have to say the staging of it was phenomenal. And the staging of most of the of the musical performances, I thought, of the Brits were, were, were brilliant. Um, I loved Teddy One, AJ Tracy, Young T and Bugsy as well, James. Um, I beg your pardon? But... Uh, that was just a incredible moment, and I love the fact that you know they name check Russell T Davis. They went, "This is inspired by his series," and um, it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I was messaging boys like just sheer joy that moment when you saw Ollie, and then you know he's there in his platforms and his crop top rolling around the stage. Yeah. I, it was just yeah. after you know an hour and a half of not having a single clue who anybody was. I got very very. <laughs> very excited and it was just so brilliantly camp and loud and i felt honestly like somebody had injected joy right into my eyeballs mm. um mm. just brilliant yeah it was fantastic. i didn't watch it you'll be shocked to hear of course you didn't of course you didn't and uh i also got to mention gods of snooker which is uh, also <gasps> clearly oh God, yeah you clearly forgot. i'm just this. telling the things that terry's forgot <laughs> things i've forgotten because i've been i was talking about yeah. this on social yeah. media i've now watched yeah. all three yeah, and I mean, it is brilliant. It's so well done. And it's funny because I watched an Alex Higgins documentary after the first mm. episode aired on Sunday night. And a lot of the, because um, obviously there's not a huge amount of footage available because, you know, Paps often didn't have cameras and it's in video cameras. But And they use a lot of the same footage, but it's really interesting how this documentary uses it. And I know it's produced by Louis Theroux's production company, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And it's so well done, the storytelling in it, because I wondered if it'd be like one snooker player per episode or one decade per episode, but it's much smarter than that because it ends up essentially being one story, doesn't it? And, it, mm. you know, and it obviously focuses on different people and you, um, you have Stephen Hendry and you have... Um, Jimmy White and but the way they tell those stories about people who are very challenging you know Alex Higgins um, was obviously ill and an alcoholic and but he did you know also had incidents of, of violence against strangers mm. and he he obviously had convictions but they and they the way they handled it I think while still allowing them to have humanity and for us to feel sympathy with them as human beings I just thought it was so brilliantly done. Have you seen all three, Boydie? No, I've only seen. I only watched the first one. No, I kind of. I think I was going to watch them live. Yeah, so they go out, but it, it's 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 fascinating because I just remember that. So it's the whole country is obsessed with these people. Mm. Um, you know, in the late seventies and eighties and stuff. I remember watching the whole of the Dennis Taylor final, you know, and all of that. And he, I mean, he, he looks exactly the same. Dennis Taylor looks exactly the same as he did 30 years ago. Incredible. Honestly, um, I was like, and how did Steve Davis look older yeah. then than he does now? Oh, I've heard <laughs> right. of Steve Davis. Steve Davis, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it is a, it's a cliche, but they were characters. They were, I mean, they're amazing characters. Yeah, that's who was the one who wore his so. glasses upside down? Dennis that was Dennis Taylor. Taylor. Ah. Yeah, yeah. In that, that was the final. Yeah, which I watched live. Went on for about like incredible, like twenty hours of riveting TV snooker. 
And there's that. So there's that. I was also going to mention, um, as I do every week, um, this time with Alan Partridge, because the one that went out on Friday um, was the one where it climaxes with him sampling cocktails and getting drunk. And Steve Coogan getting drunk. So going from, he goes from enjoying these cocktails and being a little bit tipsy to full on being drunk and slouching on the sofa and railing against the world in about two and a half minutes. I didn't time it, but it's an incredible acting performance. So obviously Coogan's been doing Partridge for literally 30 years, but to watch him, it's just unbelievable what he does with that, the last five minutes of that episode. Astonishing. And let me flash forward, and I've watched episode four, the one after, and that includes a, a VT in which um, Alan Partridge investigates chemsex. And I'm just going to leave it there. Alan Partridge experiencing chemsex yeah. is, um, uh, well, yeah. that's, that's a mood. Yeah. That is a mood. Um, well, you'll be pleased to know that I am now on to season seven of Game of Thrones. I'm on the home stretch now, uh, so you won't have to hear about this too much too much longer. Season six is a stormer. I'd forgotten how good that was, though I do feel like we're into the bit where it all starts to get quite loosely sketched from this point on because they get into a bit of a rush, uh, so we tend to start skipping through things. Like even the first episode, of Dragonstone of season seven, feels a little bit like it lacks the texture and the depth of some of the previous stuff. But nevertheless, I'm still enjoying it enormously, so that is good. But can we talk about Mayor of Easttown, please? Because I've finally caught up with that i am now oh, watching yeah. it week by week i have refused to watch the the preview episodes hbo sent me i'm now watching them as i go out uh, as i mentioned on twitter this week uh mayor's mum playing fruit ninja furiously in the kitchen is very much my mood at the moment that was yeah. loads of fun mayor's mum is fucking amazing isn't she <laughs> yes, yeah she is, yeah. She is she really so brilliant is. i see it's funny like i'm really enjoying this show despite the fact that it is there is none grimmer on television at the moment like it is so fucking bleak but there's something about it that isn't oppressive do you know what i mean like it's dour mm. but it doesn't really bring yeah. you down and i wonder whether yeah. it's because winslet plays that character is so indefatigable so you know down to earth get your head down get on with it she's so resilient that i think you kind of you get buoyed along by that so it's not been bumming me yeah. out well i also think for a show that focuses well a story it's heart is about disappeared and murdered girls yeah you, it doesn't luxuriate in the kind of grimness of that. There's no, no kind of um, really exploitative storytelling or it never focuses on that. And as, and I think to your point, having everything from Mare's point of view, who's just like, this is her lot in life and it's, yeah. you know, Very she's pragmatic. just going to get on with it. She's just going to do what she needs to do. And that, that kind of seeing it through her eyes, I think is the important thing. And just, it doesn't exploit that, you know, there's a, when that first, when the first body was found, and I'm not going to say who it is in case you haven't seen the first yeah. episode, you know, she's naked and spread-eagled on this lake, and I had a bit of a bad reaction to that and thought, oh, God, I hope this doesn't become kind of that voyeuristic, enjoying the violence on women thing. But you've barely seen any of it on screen, actually. It's the kind of brutality of, of everybody's lives in it, from, you know, somebody who's a drug addict and on somebody who's – sibling is a drug addict and somebody who everybody's had loss and everyone's had pain and it's it's kind of in the air around them and it's in you know the mud under their feet but it, it isn't in any way kind of massively violent massively violent even though there are violent moments i i think it's really smartly mm. done and really kind of it's classy it is it is. It's really, really well put together. Uh, I am. I'm continued to find Guy Pierce's wig mesmerising whenever it's on screen. 
as well. <laughs> His whole look is mesmerizing. Yeah. Really have is. you seen though? Have you seen the Saturday Night Live sketch about it? The murder I, no. I did not murder your daughter <laughs> sketch in which Kate <laughs> McKinnon Kate because it's all about the accent, all about the all this the show set this weird accent like halfway between New York and Boston. In uh, and she, they do a whole thing about I did not murder your daughter. It's fucking brilliant. And it's That's so accurate. So the way they shoot it. Um, is amazing and Kate McKinnon does Kate Winslet and it's phenomenal um, yeah so it, it's it's all on um, YouTube I think it's oh, fantastic I will have to look that out I will have to wait look that out. The, the, it's episode 5 I have to say which because I, I did mm. as I said I did I have watched which is the tonight as the podcast goes we out we have to right we have to discuss that actually because it's uh, there's a lot to take in Let's, let okay. me just say that maybe we'll get into that next yeah. week in a special encapsulated spoiler section I'm thinking of moving spoiler discussions to the very end of the podcast so they always happen mm. at the very end so people don't have to do yeah. fiddle about with timestamps oh so, yeah uh, there was some controversy wasn't there from our Twitter people about the fact we did line of duty spoiler special in the spoiler special paywall yes, section which is there yeah. was I I, th- I just wanted to say, because we didn't really plan it, did we, that we wouldn't discuss at all the finale in this podcast. It was just that we literally recorded that epic like, spoiler special in which we said everything that we, we had to say. And then we did the normal podcast. So it felt. Yeah. To, I think it felt to us like, oh, we've discussed all that. Yeah. We don't need to mention the Lion Juicy finale. But I think we would have happily discussed what we thought of it and, you know, the, the general reception of it. But it, it was it, generally, it wasn't a deliberate thing, was it, on our part yeah. to kind of ignore it? It was the Machiavellian podcast. master plan. We are not no. H, is what we're saying. No. Yeah. Um, I, did, I also did, we did have some very specific requests on social saying, please do not spoil. I am, um, yeah, I, that's I, true. I know it's not come to my country yet or I haven't seen the finale. Please do not mm. spoil it for me. So I think we're always conscious, aren't we, of not, um, yeah. of even when something's aired and it's been a massive talking point. Um, we know everyone's on the same schedule and we're always very conscious not to spoil anything for people because um, we'd be furious if somebody spoiled it for us. Well, yeah. we instead of us talking for 30 seconds, you got us talking for an hour and a half about it. So, yeah, yeah so perhaps a kind of sealed section at the back of the podcast is uh, <gasps> where we'll go with these discussions. Like the in- um, sealed sex sections that used to be in More Magazine. That's exactly like that. So oh, a sealed yeah. sex section yeah. at the back end of the podcast. <laughs> Steady. So when we do have a kind of spoilery discussion of stuff we've been watching, I will chuck it at the end in future. So the podcast will end, and then if people wish to stay, they can, and if they don't, they don't have to. So much like we used to do with Game of Thrones. So it's yeah, only taken yeah. us several years to learn that lesson. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's one other thing I want to talk about if we're talking about things we've been watching, and it is The Walking Dead. So you know the bonus episodes of The Walking Dead, the lockdown episodes of The Walking Dead, that they just did those six bonus episodes on the end of the last season to kind of tide us over until the next season comes along. And they were very character-driven by their nature because they were shot you know during social distancing measures and i think they were a bit hit and miss there's a really good daryl one where you get the sort of where you see what he did when he went away for a period of time i like that one i think some of the others were a little bit less effective there's one with robert patrick which could have been great but i don't think was so i've struggled with them a little bit which is why it's taken me so long to get through them but i finally got through the last one last night and the final one which is the one i was most looking forward to was the here's negan episode which is jeffrey dean morgan and his real life wife uh, hillary burton uh, and it's negan's backstory and the thing i like about this show is like it's done an incredibly good job of humanizing negan over the last couple of years and you have to bear in mind like like humanizing a villain making them an anti-hero that's you know it's hardly new do you know what i mean everyone's done that but the thing with Negan is he was so 
off the charts awful. Like the things he did were so horrifying, so horrific and so shocking that so many people stopped watching the show because of it. And to take that person and to successfully kind of almost rehabilitate him is actually quite impressive. And I think this episode works really well. It's not exactly the same as the Here's Negan comic book that came out which i really liked um in fact i think it actually works slightly better it focuses much more on his sort of internal emotional journey and yes there's a sense that you see him you see him pre when he becomes bad negan before he becomes re- rehabilitated and he's so you know soft and cuddly at points you're like really i don't see this but they actually do a good point of setting him up for the negan he becomes and then obviously so it becomes a big redemption arc which I, which i think works very well so anyway i really enjoyed that here's negan episode uh i think it's fun if you ever found negan an interesting character maybe check it out i'm al- no i'm almost tempted i did find negan an interesting yeah. character yeah yeah it's 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 worth a look it's worth a lot there's some baseball bat action in there as you might expect Oh, so there's like a backstory to the baseball bat. Yes, yes. There it was. Oh, okay. they, they, indeed, because he calls the baseball bat Lucille. So obviously you will right, find right, out right. if you didn't already know why the baseball right. bat is called Lucille. I can't remember if that's been revealed in the show. Obviously, I knew it anywhere from the comics. But, um, you know, there's a there's a whole lot of backstory, which makes you unlike his jacket, like why he is who he is, how he became who he is. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good episode. It's worth watching. Yeah. Um, but that's what we've been watching. So should we move on to this week's listener question? And this is a slightly different listener question. This one comes from Dan Barrow. And the reason we're answering this is because he's asked it repeatedly, and I just want him to stop. So, um, Dan, we are finally going to answer this question. And his question is a somewhat personal one. Listening to your collective rewatches, binge watches, punishing work schedule watches, and I started at 9 p.m. and it ended at 4 a.m. watches, I always wonder how you balance this with your personal lives. Do you find an equilibrium? between these and if so how i mean this is quite simple for me to ask i mean no i have no equilibrium whatsoever i literally spend my entire life my life is dominated by watching tv and that's fine i'm fine with it i mean sometimes multiple shows at once yeah sometimes multiple shows at once i did i have to admit i did watch i did watch two shows at the same time a little bit you know what it was no 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 this is just no 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 so just to excuse myself because we're doing a succession thing because you are you have you started watching Succession, and I thought, oh, I'm going to remind myself what the first episode of Succession was, the very first one, because I haven't rewatched it. I think since it went out, so I put that on on my Sky Q, and I was on my little on my laptop. I was watching something else at the same time that I just had to do from like for news reasons to write a news story for fate. So it wasn't stuff that I'm sitting there reviewing fully. It was stuff that I had to. I could easily bounce between the two, and and knowing up, and then I focus, and then. We'll get onto the succession issue issue le- thing later, but then I was like, actually, I'm going to just carry on watching succession because because hang on, succession. why 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 haven't we talked about succession? Like we talked about what we watched. Terry, Terry hasn't in. mentioned it. Oh, Are well, we I, doing a... I presumed you were doing a slot. Like oh, oh, oh yeah. a whole slot for Terry watching succession. Yeah. Okay, sorry Dan, sorry Dan. We'll come back to you very shortly, but we're going to upend the podcast now. Terry watches telly, makes its triumphant return yeah. this week <laughs> as Terry has finally watched another TV show from her homework list and it is succession the original bell end vision show um how many did you watch terry and what did you think i watched one episode okay um, and everybody so people have been very supportive on social media but every there was a definite just get through the first few episodes vibe going on um and from the i'll tell you what from the first episode alone if i wasn't doing this as per our agreement i would probably not continue Mm. Uh, I know, I know. 
And so next for next week's show, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch three episodes because people keep saying to me, "Just get past episode four, right?" So, I heard it was six, but sure. <laughs> so here's well, each to their own. Now, I, I th- the writing is, I mean, just incredible, and also really, I mean, there was a line that I wrote down when I was watching it because I, I rewound it to check I'd heard it right. <laughs> what what is, between a brother and a sister? What is that? Date raped by Calvin Klein? You wish. You wish? Like, it's just to their brother and sister like that. And we can't make a date rape joke about cologne. Like, it's so inappropriate. And weird and incest. But anyway, going back to um, uh, that was the. I, I was a little bit shocked by certain bits, and I don't think I'm an easily shocked person. The the writing is amazing and sharp and brutal. Um, I am obsessed by. Um, hang on, where are we? Yes, Kendall. So <laughs> that opening. I mean, let's actually just talk about the opening, right? That that opening is is a brilliant bit of telly. Absolutely brilliant bit of telly. The noises you yeah. hear before you see anything. You're trying to work out what's going on. And then it's an an old man pissing on the floor. And it's a really interesting, I might be reading too much into it, but I think it's a really interesting way to open a show, which is built from what I've seen so far around this guy's dominance and this guy's complete control over this really fucking deranged, greedy, amoral family. Um, And the opening shows him pissing himself. all over the carpet, um, but it's it's beaten by that amazing bit in the back of the car, which is very um, American Psycho. So it really reminds me of Patrick Bateman, headphones on, um, listening to Genesis. Um, there's that bit in um, American Psycho where he's in the back of the car with Reese Witherspoon and she's gibbering on. He's listening to like mm. 80s pop music on his Walkman headphones, you remember the bit I'm talking about, Boyd? And that yeah. this setup reminds me of yeah. that scene in American Psycho. Um, I just, that whole bit in the back of the car. Um, uh, but my favourite character so far has to be Roman. So, yeah. I mean, Kieran Culkin, fuck me, that boy can act. Um, uh, I'm fascinated by him um, already. And then, what's her name? Sarah Snook. Yes, I mean... She's. I. I. I'm. I'm developing a small fascination with her. I think she's. <laughs> she's just a a brilliant actress who never really kind of gets. She. She doesn't get the kind of big highlight. Um. Kind of people don't talk about her as being at that level. Do you know what I mean? She's mm, in loads yeah. of stuff and she's brilliant in loads of stuff, but she doesn't seem to have that level of fame that you might expect. I think she is brilliant. And then obviously that ending. I don't want to talk. I don't want to say what happens because I know some other people said they were watching it along with me, and they might not have actually watched the first episode. But it's, I mean, it seems so far. There's obviously a Shakespearean thing going on. Um, there's a dysfunctional family thing going on. There's greed. There's power. Nobody in it. To your point, James, is in any way half decent they're all balanced it's a hundred percent balanced yeah, but that and that is i for once i agree with you um because it's really hard so i ended up rooting for kieran culkin because he seemed like the least evil mm. or the most mm. kind of relatable evil that i could get along with because he's a bit of a fuck up um uh and he's a bit different and I but they're all like yeah 
Completely they're all the worst. Devoid of any and then morality. he does the thing. He does the thing at the baseball game, which is actually the worst thing of the oh, whole episode. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. But I mean, they're all like fucking dreadful. None Even of them... Greg is terrible. But none oh, of them. Oh, Greg seem is to have amazing. Got, I mean, <laughs> how about Greg? But Greg none of them have Craig. any. None of the Greg that whole bit. That honestly, bit, yeah. I was dying. Yeah. I was dying. That's so genius. Having introducing yeah. him and and imposing himself on Brian Cox in that that whole yeah. bit where they go up in the lift. Oh my god, that was so brilliant. I mean, like, oh, yeah, that was so fantastic. Yeah, but it, it's and that's the difficulty. The difficulty. The reason I wouldn't carry on with it if I wasn't watching it for this. I mean, the writing's great. As I say, the performances are great is that there is nobody to cling on to in that first episode mm-hmm. and go, I'm rooting for you. I'm coming back to see what happens to you because I'm invested in you and I care what happens to you. At this point, I'm like, you could all die in a house fire and it would be yes. fine. Um, and, getting go- and so I'm going to keep going because everybody is telling me that it's the greatest TV I'm ever going to watch. And I have those butterflies in my stomach that I had when I started The West Wing. And uh, that ended up being one of the greatest experiences of my life. So I trust in the pilot podcast listeners. And I even trust in you, James. And I definitely (laughs) trust in you, Boydie. So uh, we go on. And next Mm. week, I'm going to watch three. And I'll be back here to talk about episodes two, three, and four. This show is the polar opposite of The West Wing. <laughs> the West Wing, where you love everyone and want them to be your family, yes. and this, where you want everyone to jump into the sea. But you know what? The thing is, somehow, that the genius of Succession is, and you're absolutely right, and when we watched that episode, I was thinking, it is flawed, and, and it doesn't quite make watching all of these horrendous people as much doesn't quite make it as much fun but what the genius of it is is that as it goes along it becomes incredibly entertaining to be with them and you do in a bizarre twisted sick way you do root for them like almost all of them actually the kids certainly um in in a in this weird perverse way just because it's so brilliantly written and directed and acted and it's so it's got. I was. I was. I was forgot about the whole. The whole way it's shot. That in that kind of almost that j- jerky cam quasar documentary thing they do. And yeah. Th- and just the whole. So if from from the start, it feels so real and authentic. And that's what that's the the the, the triumph of it. I think is that. It just captures. It's really hard to capture the a global multimedia conglomerate kind of thing run by some you know kind of Rupert Murdoch evil <laughs> evil villain, and make it feel authentic. And it does it so brilliantly from the first second because of the way it's shot and and edited and all of that. And it's just and I think it just becomes so brilliantly done that you enjoy the brilliance of it. And that's what I think happens. So by the time it's halfway through that first season, it doesn't matter that they're all absolute bellends. And they're all, and there's because it's so great <laughs> that you embrace it. That's my feeling about it. Well, the question will be whether Terry gets past that because I, I never she, got past oh, it. I think so. you absolutely will because you'll enjoy it. You just enjoy its brilliance so much. But I, I am always so my connection with TV shows is always entirely my heart and secondly my brain and so that is the reason i fell so madly in love with the west wing it's exactly what james said which is from the very second i entered their world i loved those people and those people were like my family in the end it was like you know and i still get emotional thinking about certain episodes what's his face josh put a tweet out and he found some 
um, some stuff in his garage, which was basically Bartlett for President signs and Santos <laughs> for, for Brighter America signs. And I was almost in tears, just looking at his, this stuff he'd just found on from set in his garage. But, and, and that, I think that is an interesting question because I, th- I can, it, if I can intellectually appreciate something, that's great. But I can't think of a show where I haven't been emotion, massively emotionally invested in the people. And that's going to be the true test, I think, is, is mm. to your point. Is it so entertaining that I, you know, but what, what will connect to my heart is I think question. it will. I think it does along the way somehow, almost by osmosis, connect to your heart. It, 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 did, it does with me. So you kind of end up rooting for them. It, like, I say Shiv, Sarah Snook, um, there's a lot about her that is brilliant and that you love in the end. The more you find out about her and the more you watch her. It's, and, even, and actually... It might even be Kendall, really. When you get to the certainly when it get, when it comes to the climax of series one, you'll know what I mean. He's very he, tragic. He's mm. tragic, yeah. And the way he's treated, the way they're treated by Logan, the dad, is it, that's what make. I think that's the heart of it. It's like you're even though they're born into grotesque yes. wealth and privilege, it's not their fault. And it's kind of like you know he is he is the monster, the King Lear figure. And so you yeah. kind of do end up, and I think it's because it's like, we're not going to excuse them, their atrocities, but actually you can see why they've ended up how they are. It's shades of Bellendry, isn't it? Shades the problem of with this is that yeah. They're all Bellends, but the proximity of Logan, who is the biggest Bellend yeah. of all, yeah. makes them seem lesser Bellends. Yeah. But I, yeah, I still couldn't get on with it, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Doesn't it, but why do you think, and as I say, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but your first sighting and your first time with this man as as he's pissing on the carpet. Yeah. And yeah. like oh, that's yeah. a very deliberate thing 100%. to do. Yeah. And so I don't I didn't watch the episode through the eyes of like, oh, he's an this evil kind of patriarchal corrupt figure. In my head he was like a pathetic old, mm. old man who pissed, you know, on his nice clean carpet. Like well, that and that's a deliberate choice, right? Oh, completely. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's instantly going well. Yeah, he is. A, he's just a human, pathetic human being, yeah. like the rest of us, who's going, who's getting old and is going to end up pissing in the in on the carpet. And by the way, that's well, I won't spoil it. But yeah, there's more more of that kind of stuff. And um, <laughs> more carpet pissing to more come. More carpet pissing. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. So yeah, but at the same time, he is this monster. Yeah. So is the humanizing of the monster. Is key, absolutely key, but he's still, but it doesn't take the monstrosity out of him. But they remind you at regular, re- regular intervals that he is a flawed, pathetic human being at the same time. Well, we will look forward to hearing what Terry thinks of the next three episodes of Succession: Bell End, Bell End's Revenge, and the Rise of Bell End. Uh, next, how week, many episodes did you ever watch? Then I watched six. I think oh, okay. six. I, last week okay. I said five, but I think it was actually six because I watched up until the one where you said you've just got to watch till this point, and I think that was six. Right. And I got to the end of that, and I was thought, I'd be honest, I've sunk six hours into this. I'm still not enjoying it on any level. Oh, like, okay. I just, I can't even. So at that point, I stopped. Right, because okay. again, it was just like I couldn't, I couldn't find an access point. I couldn't find a character to root for, and I just, I hated all of them. And I was like, I work for Empire Magazine. I'm surrounded by raging bellends all day long. I do not need to invite them into my home in the evening. I am done. So, so how many of you seen 
I thought you'd watched all of it for some reason. Six. I watched the first six. Uh, listeners, you're, yeah, the reason Terry missed the fact that we just discussed that. I just thought that when you as were. As characteristic with Terry, she was having some kind of wire-related emergency <laughs> where she muted a mic and ended up sort of like knocking things over and carnage. Uh, but, but she's back now, so it's all good. Uh, yes, I watched six. Uh, I watched up until Boyd said I got had to watch. I had to watch episode six. I got to episode six and then I cut my losses and ran. Wow, I, I just thought you'd persevered. That's that's a long way to get in. Yeah, yeah. but I yeah. just was not enjoying crazy, it. Crazy so scenes. I, I, I stopped. Oh. Sorry. But yes, be interested to hear what you think of the next ones. We'll get into that next week. Now, Dan, sorry. Sorry, Dan. We've left you hanging there for a while <laughs> Dan, there, Dan. Um, Dan. Dan! 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 Um, nobody does that, Dan. <laughs> 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 oh. um yes so so we've un- we we so boyd as we have heard has no personal life whatsoever and just watches tv multiple tv shows continually 24 7 have some piped in he's a little bit like tank in the matrix just multiple screens multiple shows at all times i am slightly in awe and terrified by the amount of stuff you watch boy in the yeah. i'll be like oh yeah i've seen it and you'll be like yeah i watched the whole series twice you know just to uh <laughs> like, oh my god what are you doing and then i watched it live as well so you know, <laughs> um is just terry how do you balance the fact that you have you know a child and, and a life and things with all of the shit that we make you watch i mean it's it, it's tricky i have to say but it's actually weirdly got easier since i had a baby because uh the baby dictates the amount of sleep you get which often isn't a lot and so during those hours if the baby's up at six then that's a good couple of hours before i might start work so i just cram it in whenever i can um and actually you know the first year of his life and the first six months when i was on maternity leave from empire but i was still doing the podcast there was nothing to do but to watch telly so i filled <laughs> my my days and nights just with telly and films um but i you know I'm, we're all people who love tv we love films it's why we do what we do and i don't know about you guys but if i get any spare time i've always got a watch list in my head of what i want to mm. try and cram in and I, it's why I'm quite ruthless about stuff I don't like, or if I yeah. if I don't get into something in the first episode because I think time is the most precious thing we have, and that I don't want to waste six hours of my life on something mediocre when there is so much brilliant TV, so many brilliant films being made at the moment. I think we're so lucky um, to be part of that as part of our job, but it's something you know. If we didn't work at this magazine or do this podcast, we would still watch loads of telly and watch loads of <laughs> and watch loads of films. Um, but how do you do it, James? With extreme difficulty. Um, well, weirdly for me, before we started doing pilot, I already watched a slightly obscene amount of TV. Not Boyd level obscene, but I used to try and watch the first episode of every major like American network and cable drama. I mean, didn't always get it, but I used to try and watch the first episode of all of them just because it was that sense, that almost FOMO sense that I didn't want to miss the next great West Wing or the next great Battlestar Galactica, you know? So I wanted to make sure I'd seen everything to see if something, you know, it's sifting through discovery, isn't it? And it was more manageable back then. So I'm going back about 10 years or so. It was more manageable because the amount of shows 
was less you know like i started doing that i actually think in the kind of early noughties and again like fewer shows it was totally manageable you were able to do it but as the show production has ramped up that's when it's become oh okay well if i wasn't doing this now for a living i wouldn't be able to do it and frankly that's the reason we do this show is because no one can watch everything unless they're buoyed like you know normal humans cannot watch everything because there are only so many so many hours in a day um but i mean i i live out in the country so i have a significant commute into work and my watching time was always my commute like i used to watch everything on the way into work on the way out of work and that's how i mainly got everything done since i don't have that anymore it's slightly more challenging but then equally my tv is never far away from me so i guess that helps as well but i think because i do the empire podcast every week uh which means there's a whole bunch of films to watch and obviously pilots there's a bunch of shows to watch i do sometimes find my watch this can be a bit oppressive <laughs> and if i try and reconcile that with whatever ridiculously long show that I'm re-watching at any given time and then other stuff that I might want to watch for pleasure and it is astonishing that I actually ever get out the house hmm. um, it's, it's a little bit tricky I actually found certainly from an Empire point of view it's been easier since lockdown because studios give us screeners that we can watch remotely whereas that has traditionally not really been the case you've had to go to screenings and trying to fit in actual screenings with everything of films uh, you know that can be that can be quite challenging but um I mean, I do, I'm sure, what you do, Terry. Like, you know, when it gets to, like, for me, like, we record the Empire podcast on a Thursday. So, like, Wednesday night tends to be watching a bunch of films for Empire. And then, you know, we record Pilot on Friday morning. So, Thursday night tends to be sort of plowing through all the pilot shows. It just, you just sort of slot it into your routine. But, but yes, there is a lot of it. Mm. There are a hell of a lot of shows, by the way, that, as, as, as to Terry's point. Watch. No, no, no. Well, I'm saying I watched the first episode, so mm. I do watch the first episode of pretty much everything, every scripted show. In fact, and quite a lot of non-scripted shows as well. <laughs> um, I go out on Saturday night with crazed, crazed, um, crazed concepts behind them. Um, but I will absolutely stop. Like, I'm never going to yeah. watch. I don't think, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm ever going to watch Jupiter's Legacy episodes <laughs> three, four, well, five, six. I watched six. every episode of it. I know you did, yeah, because you reviewed it for Empire. But, oh, my God, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I can't see myself going back and watching that unless you tell me that. There's so many great bits in the end. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> no. Um, so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of shows that I've only ever watched the first one or t- first, say, two episodes but- of. But that's an interesting point as well, because I'm similar now, whereas I used to be much more sort of OCD about it. Where I started a show, I would press on in case it got good. Like on the mm. off chance that it was getting yeah. good, I would press on with it. Since like things like some of these shows, like Brothers and Sisters, I must have watched like four or five years of that, whatever it was. It's like, whereas nowadays, it wouldn't even get... <laughs> I don't even know if I'm making the first episode. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why am I watching this? Like, this is not my kind of show. But I think, again, it's because of the, the sort of the rich variety of shows we have now, as opposed to 10, 15, years ago like then you would you would watch any old shit because there wasn't Mm. all that much great stuff on so you just watch it for something to watch because what else were you going to watch you know i i I think we we've got to a point now where our viewing habits have all fundamentally changed because there's so much good stuff that even like stuff now we talked about this when we did that um kate beckinsale show the name of which i've forgotten it's a clearly very memorable show i mean i remember when we reviewed it we said yeah absolutely like 20 years ago i would have watched every episode of this and thought it's fantastic but nowadays i'm not even gonna get to episode two because the bar has been raised so high now that unless something is knock it out part brilliant it's like why would i waste my time on this because mm. there is something knocking out the part brilliant starting next week or the week after or the week after that there's just so much of it but, but to your point that's why we exist because we, yeah. we it, it and that's why we are always as honest as we are because there is so much stuff out there and hopefully we can help you decide if it's if it's worth your time or not mm. um 
and and that honesty is is essential because there there really is a huge amount of it and it's not all amazing but it's fair to say that you know we are still in such an amazing time for telly and you i could easily fill my week all over again quite honestly um maybe if i didn't watch 73 episodes of friends every week i might i might be able to put that better use um and one of the things actually about the world opening up again because obviously we're recording this the friday before the um measures change again on monday so cinemas are reopened restaurants inside are open well pretty much everything's reopening and i've kind of got into this rhythm where my life is work watching telly watching films on my telly um and that's kind of it. And I'm like, oh, if I actually start going out and doing things again, what if I don't have as much time to watch <laughs> yeah. I realise in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big issue, but I'm no. just saying it's... it's- I, know, I know your point. Like, my whole life has become like sofa watching stuff, walk into the other room, record a podcast about it, go back to the sofa, watch something else, come back in the other room, record a yeah. podcast about it. Yeah, exactly. So there's a purity to that existence. Yeah, that's the why widow. It was called the widow. The Kate Beckinsale show. Oh well, yeah. Oh yeah. But there is. A, that's why there's like people have anxiety about the end of about the end of lockdown because it is. It has been. You know, for a lot. Of, a lot of. Let's face it. A lot of people. It's been quite a comfortable existence. Quite. You know. And 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 given time to be able to watch all this great TV. Mm. Um. And you know, I think there's a certain amount of anxiety about that ending if you like you know we haven't got the excuse anymore of doing of living that lifestyle but it's it, you know just going back to dan's original point it's like you know let's say you're you're a barrister or whatever it is you do like and you're working long hours you're working weekends and whatnot it's just the same thing like this this is our job and you know sometimes we work long hours sometimes you know our hours are less so but it kind of ebbs and flows but it's the same with any profession isn't it oftentimes you yeah. will have a minus lot of work the, on minus the cocaine and um yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's just for us, it's just like when we've got a lot on, it's like, oh, fuck me, I've got to watch eight episodes of Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah. Oh, Dan, well, I hope that has shed some light on that for you. I hope we've answered your question. If you have a question for us at the Pilot TV Podcast, do feel free to send them over to us via DM at Pilot TV Pod. Uh, the more out there, the better. Uh, whatever you want. Anything. Agony on. Ask us to solve your personal problems. Whatever you like. Just send them in and we'll see what we can do. Right. Time now for this week's guest. Uh, TV royalty Catherine Kelly has long been a fixture on our screens from playing Becky on Coronation Street through the likes of uh, Mr. Selfridge, Happy Valley, The Night Manager, Liar Criminal, and now Series 2 of ITV's Innocent. Uh, she plays schoolteacher Sally Wright, who begins the series after getting released from prison five years after having been convicted of the murder of a 16-year-old pupil. Uh, Catherine popped by to hang out with Boyd, and this is what happened. We're here talking about Innocent series two which is a very interesting yeah. uh, project isn't it because series one that went out a few years ago was excellent and with lee and Gilby and hermione norris but it was a completely different story this is a whole new story mm. and i guess that it's it's the theme isn't it of someone who is who is innocent who's been wrongfully accused of something that is the link from that story to this is it, did you watch the original series and when they approached you to do this series you you, you were interested in the writing and the script and the whole idea of it well, actually, I, I happened to be working with Lee Ingleby at the time because we were we were filming Criminal, the second series of Criminal. Yeah. So, um, so the scripts came through, and I always try to um, just see them as an entity on their own, even if they are kind of attached to a previous series or a spin-off. Or I even sort of try and ignore 
all the other outside factors, you know, who your agents, obviously, oh, this is Chris Lang. And so, but I try and shut all that down and just, you know, concentrate on the story itself. And I, and I try really hard not to just see it through the prism of my own character as well. So, so I just um, read and, and very rarely will they send you all the scripts, you know, because they're very often not completely you know, signed off. So I think they just sent me the first two, but I was working with Lee at the time. So I did ask him all about it. So I got the inside information uh, and took it from there, really. It's interesting because right from the beginning, the very first scene where we see you um, in court and, and all of that, you're in a, quite a heightened state of emotion, isn't it? And it kind of like, yeah, well, it starts yeah. at a peak of emotion yeah. and kind of doesn't let up really. It's from what I've seen. I've seen the first two episodes. Is that... Is yes. that an interesting challenge for that just to start at that level and then kind of keep it up for, you know throughout this story yeah well I mean I, I, I yeah and there was no other way when it came to playing it I thought yeah I mean this is she is living what our worst nightmares would be and you know without without ruining it, ruining, ruining it for anyone. Because as you say, you find out within the first two minutes, she is innocent of a crime that she didn't commit, but she has, um, she's just been brought up from herself. She served five years, probably in isolation as well for her own safety. She's been convicted of the murder of one of her students. She's an English and drama teacher. And yes, you, you find out pretty much straight away that she didn't do it. But the chaos in her. I mean, I just thought, imagine, you, you think, it, it felt to me like she's she sort of every, not just every woman, every person, you think your life is, you think you're on firm ground, you know, you have, you have what is probably perceived as quite a mundane life that you are, uh, you embrace and you love and you have a thirst for and everything's going well, and then suddenly, you know, you're not on firm ground, you're on quicksand and everything changes. And um, she, you know, you'd think that there would be some kind of relief from, from that proclamation that she is innocent. But actually, the other side of this story is that um, she's also, there's been some headlines um, and the rumours are that she was having a sexual relationship with this 17-year-old boy. And that's something that she was, she was never accused of officially she was never it was never part of the conviction but that's that's the gossip that's the rumors and nowadays it's not just village gossip is it with social media and you know tabloids and it's it's what the nation thinks of her and so when she goes home to try and uh, get her life back this innocent this this proclamation that she's innocent isn't enough. Mm. It isn't enough. Um, she's been tried by the press and she's been tried by the rumours and she she's an outcast. She is not invited back into society. So she's gone from the, the trauma of being isolated in prison and, and now she is, she's been thrown off the ship and they won't let her get back on. And so, I mean, I think that's just an, it's an interesting and terrifying prospect, you know, to be rejected from the pack when you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, it's terrific. It's 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 it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's kind of a brilliant double whammy for the, for, for us watching it to watch. You know, that as you say, that she's not only been wrongfully convicted; she's had the trauma of being imprisoned for all those years. She yes. gets that, and now she's a pariah in her hometown. Yes. And what I thought was interesting yes. is that, that that she takes the decision to go to, to to go back to school 
which is which is like that shows. I mean, I hate to use the cliche of, the, of a strong character, but that shows a huge amount of strength, isn't it? She's prepared to go back and fight in the in the face of all these people, assuming a that she did have a relationship with this young with this lad, and b that she's probably probably guilty anyway. Well, I mean, I thought about that as well. A lot of the characters say to her, you know, why don't you go away and start somewhere else? But why should she? And I think it's an entirely natural wish to try to try and get back when you especially when you've done nothing wrong at all what she got to hide but I also think that she's probably been quite naive as well you know and I hope that comes across in the first episode that you know she sees people looking at her and it's a shock you know maybe it shouldn't have been but it is um because I think she's surprised how rife that rumor was and and how believed it was and how believed it continues to be um and and that that's what really wants me to play the part how do you fight that misrepresentation the injustice of that misrepresentation what do you do and she makes the decision to go back and fight it but she fights it in a really stoic way and she just keeps trying and pushing on and i think um she has just faith in humankind that that the truth will out do you is there you, you talked about how it's this it, it's it's Chris Lang and Matt or Arlich who wrote wrote this, but did, yes, Chris, I know Chris wrote the first episode, maybe the first couple of episodes. I think. Um, I think they alternated. They alternate, from what I can right, remember. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do, can you see a, a, a link in the writing from what we know of his work? You know, I mean, Unforgotten has gone from I think being you know like what we all thought was a great show to becoming like one of the great dramas mm. on British television of the last few years. Mm. It's just gone bigger and bigger and bigger. What is it about his writing that that kind of um, makes it so? Riveting. I think, uh, like all great writers, it's it's never about just one thing, you know. And he just uh, digs deeper and deeper. And I think even from this, from the last series of Innocent to this one, that could be argued, you know, that this, this, so that the other side of the story is, you know, who did kill this student? So, Sean Dooley plays Mike Braithwaite and they are continuing that investigation to find out, you know, who, who did do it if Sally didn't. But then we have this whole other story of, you know, this woman who's been vilified and she's despised and, and how she comes back from that. And, uh, and I think Chris is just, he just keeps, he just keeps digging and Matt obviously in this, in this case. And I think you really, you really feel that when you watch that that's it's not just one thing and therefore those dramas can be revisited and i think yeah. that's what makes them stand out i thought it was interesting how sean Doody's um character to his detective character is it reminded me of the of, of the ones in unforgotten in that they're kind of normal you know imperfect mm. people who happen to be uh, detectives doing a really mm. important job but we see their flaws and their issues he's particularly Sean Dooley's character has a lot of issues that he has to deal with. And I think, and the scenes between you and him are really interesting in the kind of, mm. you kind of recognising that. He's, he's like, what was it like working with him? And were you a fan of his? I mean, he, fresh from It's a Sin, I don't know if you saw that, he was astonishing in that as the dad. Oh, It's a Sin has been one of my television highlights for the, right. over the last, well, decade, really. I think yeah. it's a phenomenal show. Um, well, I suppose just, just popping back to, to Chris, because it's interesting what he's said about um, his his writing i think the fact that he he writes in a really unjudgmental way and i think um 
that works really well with Sally's character who is being judged constantly. And I think that dynamic, I really feel, because he does make sure that his characters are very imperfect and that... Um, and, and when you go through all the different characters in this show, you see that that they're all sort of guilty of something in some way. And I think I particularly like that about Chris's, all Chris's work. Um, Sean Dooley. Yes, well, it, I've waited a long time to work with Sean, actually, because I do know him because we are from the same town, uh, same small town, remarkably. Um, and finally, we've got a chance to, yeah, to be on set together. Though he's He's... He's brilliant. And I think um, I love what he brings to the part of Mike Braithwaite. I really do. And yeah, as right. actors, we all, we all play a cop at some point, um, a detective at some point. That's you just played your first share. <laughs> I, well, every, I mean, you've got to can't point to an actor who's been in this game for 20 years who hasn't, mm. right? I mm. mean, that's, we, find it, we find it endlessly fascinating, don't we? It's an evergreen yeah. topic. But, um, but he, he brings something... Well, quite poetic, really, to the part, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's a strange sort of thing to say about. No, 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 yeah, he does that, yeah. But yeah, yeah he does. Mm. He really does. Um, I know this was filmed in, in in kind of lockdown conditions, wasn't it? And, and mm-hmm. was that? But do, do you, it, when you're when you're filming such an intense, this is an intense show, right? There's a you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot. Is it? Do you do you prefer to have a kind of fun time when you're not? You know. Um, make filming a scene or do you kind of have to keep up a level of intensity actually for your character? Well, I'm, I'm good at switching. I mean, I've never been someone who takes characters home with me. You know, I have a very good off and on switch. Um, you're absolutely right. This show we were supposed to film in March. I think, um, I think we were supposed to start the week after lockdown mm-hmm. happened. So actually um, my flight was booked to Ireland. We filmed the exteriors in Ireland and, and sorry, the interiors in Ireland and the exteriors in the Lake District. Um, so we were mainly in the south of Ireland. And yes, lockdown happened and the crew, uh, all our production team had to fly back to the, to the UK. So um, this was one of the first shows that was then back on the road, you know, once we were allowed to start again in August. So we all had to um, isolate for two weeks in a hotel room before we could start filming. So that was a new, that was new. Um, uh, And we were there when we were there, uh, Ireland went into, went into lockdown. So um, all the pubs were shut and it was very strange as a, as a daughter of an Irish man who spent a lot of time in Ireland, that was a very, very strange environment for me. Um, so I suppose we actually didn't spend much time together out of work. We felt a huge, immense, we felt a huge amount of um, responsibility because we were one of the first to go back and we wanted to make sure that we set a precedent that filming was safe and that we could be trusted to act responsibly. And, um, and I suppose in a way when you're all away from home, it is a bit easier because you kind of are self-isolating by default, really, in your, in your various hotel rooms and apartments. And there was nowhere to go. I mean, right. we all know what that's like, right? You can yeah. just sort of go outside and meet. And the nature of filming is, is that you kind of spend 14 hours a day together anyway. So um, I think a few of the cast went off and, and did walks, you know, in the beautiful Wicklow Mountains and, and stuff. But it was all... We were very mindful and we were very grateful, you know, to be back at work because we just didn't know, did I mean, 
we didn't know whether how long it was going to be before before we were back on a film set. We had no idea. So, yeah, we were. Yeah, it was. It was an, an unusual mm. setting. But yes, mm. of course, when we were on set, we we really enjoyed it. I mean, it was so great. We'd we'd all had six months off, and and um, we were chomping at the bit to tell this story. So we had a really good time on set. But no, it was it was different. It, it, it was. Uh, on one level, you could say, you know, pe- people could see the show. It's a, it's a crime drama, you know, and you, and there and there are a lot of crime dramas out there, and you've been in quite a lot of them. But I'm, I was thinking about it, and actually, if you take this, you know, Criminal, which you mentioned on Netflix, that that brilliant show, yeah. Happy yeah. Valley, is a crime drama, really. But you couldn't get more different shows, could you? Really? So it becomes almost meaningless that they're cast in that genre. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I take them despite of the fact that <laughs> that they're that, I guess. Um, yeah, all great dramas are really about something else, aren't they? I mean, Happy Valley to me is a show about guilt. It's not really a show about a policewoman. It's a show about guilt. And Criminal, I just think, is one of the most unique pieces of television that I've not just been a part of, but witnessed. Um they're sort of, I mean, I encourage everyone to visit them. I mean, they're obviously they're on Netflix and available all the time, but George Kay and Jim Field Smith, I mean, they really came up with something different. I think obviously I'm biased boy, feel free to no, jump exactly. in at any point. But, um, but those scripts, I mean, they're like plays on screen, aren't they? And, um, and they're just about the interrogation and they're just about that person, the, the, person who we have sat in front of us it's not it's not about the cops really it's about our whoever witness victim what you know whoever whoever that person is in in that scenario and i and they were irresistible those scripts um I yeah i really really wanted to do that job yeah. and i'm hoping we're going to make some more because i think they're, they're brilliant yeah oh fant- no, fantastic yeah i hope, yeah. I hope there's more is it do you, was it a different experience doing a netflix show i mean that was a show it is you know it's got a unique setup and a unique format but it's got a kind of cool a kind of quality yeah. cool about it hasn't it do you notice that kind of thing that is, is it different making that kind of show than making an itv primetime john um I mean, I work very hard to shut all that down, actually. I spend a lot of time trying to um, block out uh, all that that's going on because I can get very easily dragged into that sort of thing. And actually, I like to sort of, you know, keep kind of concentrated on what's going on on set at that moment. Um, And uh, our show kind of began in a strange way really it was it, it was and still is part of sort of more the Netflix European mm-hmm. branch of Netflix yeah and as you know it, it started off with um, there was a Spanish version and a French version and we all um, we all kind of relayed in that same set so we we filmed for three weeks in Spain and then we handed over to the Spanish team and then the French and then the German so and then we ended up you know bringing ours over to um, Pinewood and filming it there so it, it kind of never and it always felt like a chamber piece. So it, it, it never felt like a, a, like a big, big show. And mm. I guess Jim Fieldsmith and George Kay, they were very much left to their own devices. It certainly seemed from my point of view, perhaps they would disagree, but it seemed like there was very little interference, actually. We didn't have any kind of big producers on set. It was, it was all Jim and, and George and they, that was their baby. And they worked on that for years. And they, I mean, that, that was a tight ship and and i and i loved that and obviously they really trusted in their vision and just left them to it so it was great actually it felt kind of at times like we were making um 
you know, I could call it a Lindy film, actually, which is not the experience that you'd expect from Netflix, right? right but right. Um, that's true, yeah. But then it's not a big showy show, is it? With with kind of shootouts and it's just a, it, as I say, it's just, it's a, all happens across the table. So that was my experience of that. Did you have a favourite? Yeah. Do you have a favourite interrogation? Um, no, I mean the joy of them all being so different is that they're hard to they're hard to compare. Sure. No, and I and I liked the you know I like being across the table, but I also really enjoyed being in the in you know in the. Um, spaceship yeah. <laughs> watching the viewing the interrogation yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. no I, li- I liked everything about that actually and I thought it was really well judged and those scripts I can't tell you how rare it is to be given a script I mean look we had a lot to learn yeah. but we also in television terms we had a lot of time to learn it as well you know we, we were always when we got those scripts just before Christmas I mean, they were tight, apart from maybe the odd surname and maybe the time, you know, because obviously there's that, that clock going and that needed to be tightened up. But apart from that, they didn't really change. There was, there was very few amendments. So that was really great, just to be able to get your teeth into that. It was, it was unique. That's yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a unique show completely. Yeah. And yeah. finally, I was going to ask you, what have you, have you, is there stuff you've been watching um, during lockdown? Have you been watching more? Do you watch, you know, box sets and binge Oh, as a parent of small children, I, I, I'm sure I'm, you know, with the rest of the nation on, on that, that I've watched less in lockdown than <laughs> I've ever watched before. Uh, and, you know, with the homeschooling and, um, and being dinner lady and janitor and all those things that you have to be. Yes. Um, but I, in my two-week isolation in Ireland, I binged Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Catherine O'Hara is, she's just my idol. She has been since I was a teenager. We were, um, my family was obsessed with the Christopher Guest films, mm. Waiting for Guffman and yeah. Best in Show. So, um, and I love her and Eugene Levy and I adored that show. So that's been a real, a real highlight. It's a sin, as I say, I just think that was magnificent. And, a, and an absolute delight for me was um i may destroy you i mean oh, yeah. i felt like i was watching i felt like i'd walked into an art gallery and i was and i was watching uh somebody's uh, I, I, I find it hard to put into words because i'm still completely overwhelmed by what i witnessed on screen but i've just never seen anything quite like it i think it's been a long time you know, obviously it's similar after that, but it was so refreshing to see something that feels properly authored and yeah. has had nobody else. She's disallowed other people's involvement in that story. I yeah. feel like she's a fantastic collaborator. I mean, nothing is done in isolation, isn't it? But I feel like she's been really true to the story that she wanted to tell. And she was, you know, she was happy to sink or swim with that. And I, and I just loved that and um and some episodes were stronger than others and some episodes was i I just thought it was absolutely magnificent and i and i look i mean i love things like succession i think um the writer's room there's a lot to be said for that and i thoroughly enjoyed that but you know something that's not made by committee yeah i I just it it, i i loved it i could watch it i mean i could revisit that probably on an annual basis i thought it was so good Yes, it was incredible so good. Achievement, and yeah. I'll just be walking along the street and I'll just suddenly <laughs> think of a scene. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that in a way is why it feels like art to me, you know, 
like the way you, you go and watch and see an exhibition and then you just suddenly someone's painting pops into your head. That's how I feel about her show. So I think... Yeah, I'm, that's a brilliant description. You're right. It, it has indelible moments that you just kind of stay with you. Don't it? Yeah. I know. I mean, I think I have to put her up there with Catherine O'Hara, actually. I mean, I love <laughs> chewing gum. I was a big, yeah, great. big fan of that. Yeah. But, but this is another level and I think I can't, I can't wait to see... I mean, I can't wait to see the whole of her career, actually. Yeah, I think same. it's going to be astonishing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks so much, Evan. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, lovely to chat to you. Take care. That was Catherine Kelly, and time now for this week's news. And I dare say the biggest news of the past week is probably the Golden Globes imploding. Mm-hmm. What did oh, we think yeah. about oh, yeah, that? I we ridiculed the Golden Globes a fair old bit. I, I forgot. I, I saw that as a, as a film story, but you forget the Golden Globes do TV yeah. as well, which partly well, what makes it always so entertainingly stupid. Indeed. Well, and it was the TV. You could argue it was obviously the yeah. TV yeah. component that has, yeah. has resulted in this. Because just Hello, to rem- Michaela Cole. Just to remind everybody, it was the kind of uh, backlash and reaction to the fact that um, I May Destroy You was snubbed and... When it came to the nominations, this is. And Emily in Paris, for example, uh, received several nominations, which led to the writer of uh, one of the writers of Emily in Paris writing a piece about why they shouldn't be nominated. And Michaela Cole and I May Destroy You should have been. And obviously, at that point, there was a of discussion about, and there was an LA Times article about the perks of the. Yes. Um, Emily in Paris was, in fact, the HFPA in Paris. Paris in Paris. <laughs> There was talk of a a press trip, Uh, you know, and people do, we go on set um, at Empire, uh, we go on trips to talk to talent, but there were kind of these um, suggestions that they had a very nice, lovely, plush time in Paris and this may have influenced the fact that it was nominated. Now, as part of this, it was flagged that there isn't a single black member of the HFPA and a kind of wider examination happened into kind of their makeup, how they admit people, their membership policies and rules. And at, uh, at that point, kind of very significant publicists um, came together and said, we need to see meaningful change from the HFPA. And they put forward a proposal which was quite vague in terms of what they were planning to do and didn't really have a time frame attached to it. That was criticised by um, those reps and it was literally all reps firms apart from Sunshine Sachs, which is the um, publicity firm that reps the HFPA <laughs> and the Golden Globes. So um, they did then put out a more detailed plan for when they'd kind of make the reforms and what those reforms would be, but it was... It, it, they basically were told, you know, there's no way to get this done before the Golden Globes is due to happen, before nominations are due to happen. So it has been cancelled for 2022. I think, I think quite rightly, I think I was surprised. I have to say, given the reaction, I wondered whether all actors and whether all publicists would support the ceremony in 2021 i wondered if people would still go i wondered if people would still accept their awards and and everybody did i think since since then people may have reconsidered tom cruise it's been reported gave back three Mm. of his golden globes so i think the feeling is that the um the work of, of trying to overhaul the hfpa hadn't been taken seriously enough and hadn't been on a quick enough time frame for there to actually be real substantive change 
What do you think, James? Mm. It's not like the HFPA have decided to take time off and, you know, reflect and stuff. It's the NBC have essentially said, we're not fucking airing this. Yeah. Uh, and they're not even promising that they're going to air it in the future. They've simply, they've said, you know, and I believe the actual quote says, uh, change of this magnitude takes time and work. We feel strongly the HFPA needs time to do it right. As such, NBC will not air the 2022 Golden Close. Assuming the organization executes its plan, we are hopeful we will be in a position to air the show in January 2023. So, so, I mean, will the Golden Globes come back? Who knows? I think it's hard to say at this point. Will it be what it has been, which is the second only to the Oscars award ceremony? Don't know that either. Well, yeah, and, and you know, because the, there's two parts of it, right? The HFPA as an organisation, as a collective of journalists, um, what they what that becomes, the changes they make, they're talking about changing the entire board um, and really doing it from the top down. Um, and then the Globes, which exists as a standalone event. But, you know, the, the all year round, that HFPA, that group of journalists, um, conduct interviews in Los Angeles. They're used heavily by film studios. Um, and, you know, the, you've got the actual organisation of journalists and then you've got the massive event as well. And, and could the Globes exist in another form? Or, or does, you know, where and what role does the HFPA have to play in its future, really? Indeed. It is one of those cases, though, isn't it, where it's like suddenly, it, like the hypocrisy, I don't know, like the, the, the hypocrisy and insanity of suddenly realising after all this time <laughs> that, the, that the Golden Globes are a load of old shit uh, run by 90, however many, you know, ludicrous people writing for lewd, sometimes ludicrous outlets and have this live this unbelievable life where they get treated like royalty because of this fucking ceremony that everyone knows is a joke. And this has been going on for literally decades, you know, the stories of Pia Zadora getting an award, you know, dating back to the 80s. And suddenly they've decided, oh, yeah, we have to give back our globes. I mean, I love, you know, it, it, I just think it's, it's, it is funny that it's got so bad and it's finally because of the embarrassment of the exposure of who actually belongs to this group, this closed shop that wouldn't admit anyone in, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, finally, it's like finally in the end, everyone's decided to do something about it, about something that was obviously preposterous for years and years and years and years. Well, other than the Globes, what else has happened this week? Um, so I, I saw something very confusing, um, uh, which said that Roku are going to launch mm. Queeby Originals this month. Yeah. What? They've thought- snapped up the old, in the, up, the Queeby yeah. fire sale. Yeah. So... Roku, I didn't even know Queeby were kind of, I suppose, selling the individual programs. Um, but they're Rachel Brosnahan's s- golden arm lives again. <laughs> Thank God. Well, yeah. apparently, <laughs> yeah. apparently they're going to release. So Roku are going to release them for free. They're not going to charge for them. Mm. Portrait or landscape? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand. Um, yeah. So it said they paid substantially less than. The hundred million <laughs> for the assets of the defunct complete. So they've got rights apparently to more than fifty, um, seventy-five shows overall, including next week we will see Die Hard with Kevin Hart, <laughs> um, Anna Kendrick's sex doll. Um, yes, sitcom? the doll, not Do doll. Terry's Terry's Midlander voice might have uh, misrepresented that doll. slightly. I and I, I talked about that. 
episode on this podcast because I thought it was actually really brilliant and really funny. There's also a Judge Judy kind of show, but with Chrissy Teigen called Chrissy's Court. Um, I mean, and Keith Sutherland's uh, Fugitive remake. So yeah, this is available to the UK as well. It says all of the Roku originals will be available free on the platform for viewers in the US, the UK and Canada. Um, and they're keeping them to the original episode length. So, you know, whatever they were to eight, 10 minutes. Um, and they said they'll serve ad breaks between the episodes, but not within them, um, which I presume is how they're going to make a bit of their money back. But yeah, something made for a phone to be consumed kind of in these very short bursts has now gone to a platform so you can watch it on your big telly, which I'm sure won't be irritating at all. And again, the hilarious thing about they're kind of, they're, they're calling them Roku Originals now. And they have this big, like, oh, launch I hate that. event. Like, uh, uh, I mean, where they're trying to drum up excitement going, oh, you know, we've got this new content. But it's literally, they're literally just repurposing this failed, disastrous. I mean, I'm sure some of the content, we, we, we did review it, didn't we? Some of the yeah. content is interesting, weird, mad good, bad, whatever. But to kind of somehow pretend that these are Roku originals, this was our plan all along. And to make yeah. a big deal out of it, like I've been, I had about eight emails inviting me to all these different launches, launch events and revelations and embargo, this is embargo till then. I'm like, it's just stuff everyone but knows was out is, there. This is Netflix's fault. This is all Netflix's fault because they started calling acquisitions Netflix originals. I know, I know. And now everyone does. It's like when Sky yeah. was going on about, watch Promising Young Woman, a Sky original. It's like you acquired it literally last week. You yeah. had From nothing Universal. to do with it. It's focused me. Like, that drove me mad. So yeah, that is crazy. That, that is Matt calling crazy. a film done by an, another studio who sold it to you as yeah. an original. Like, yeah. I think we've got different definitions of the word yeah. original. But I think, you know, if you make something, sure, call it an original, but come on, come on now. Yeah. It's so funny, but within one, you know, press release to go, we are, we have taken the Queeby stuff and we're calling it Roku Originals and being proud of, and we're like, we're proud of it. And, you know, isn't it brilliant? And we're like, mm, I don't know. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird. We've had a few trailers and things this week. I have to say, the trailer, if you can call it a trailer, the teaser for the Friends reunion thing did give me shivers. Oh, it oh, yeah. did, did give me shivers. It did yeah. on um, Courtney Cox's Instagram. Like She said, oh, you know, this doesn't happen every year or even every 10 or 15 years. Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're walking through the lot in slow motion oh. from behind. Yeah, that was that brilliant. Slightly slowed Genius. down version of the theme tune playing. Yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah. I can't wait to see what David Beckham's favourite uh, friends moments are. <laughs> Just say that. What? He's one of the he's one of the celebrity fan guests on the show. Oh yes. god. Oh yes. There's a real chance this will yes. be terrible. Yes. <laughs> no, it won't. My mate did it. It'll be great. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> oh, boy! Did you get a, did yes. you get an early look at it? Fucking hope so. Because yeah. again, there's no announcement of anyone showing it here in this country. No. Air in like a week. Yeah. Um. In about you know about ten days time. Yeah. End yeah. of May. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's preposterous. You don't like someone's fucking sort sort this out. You would think. You would, you think, would think. But then you know the West Wing special never made it over here. So I mean, slightly. Yeah, <laughs> that was disappointing. This is like you know. Hang on, gigantic. <laughs> Hang on, boy. Don't take <laughs> issue with that. <laughs> What else? What else did we? Say? Oh, yes. Yeah, so there was a little. There was a little teaser for the final season of Bosch, which I'm sure neither of you care about, but I was pretty psyched <laughs> to see. Uh, Lisey's story. Did you see the trailer for Lisey's story? The Stephen King yeah, show that's going good. to be on they Apple TV Plus has Julianne Moore in it. Um, that looks really good. Yeah, um, it does. that's properly creepy. Yeah. Um, Steve McQueen announced yes. a uh, documentary series. Well, I think three 
a three-part series with the BBC called Uprising. Um, and it's examining three events from 1981, uh, the New Crossfire, which killed 13 black teenagers, Black People's Day of Action and the Brixton riots. And I think some of them actually kind of, some of those events were part of small acts. Um, so I think, I mean, anything Stephen McQueen does, honestly, I just think is incredible. Um, and it's going to be co-directed by James Rogan, who directed, I don't know if you saw Stephen, The Murder That Changed a, a Nation, which was a really incredible BBC documentary series about Stephen Lawrence. Um, so I'm really fucking excited for that. I love, he's clearly got such an amazing creative relationship with the Beeb. Um, yeah, it would be brilliant. I don't know when that's coming out, unfortunately, though. I think it's going to be later this year, I think. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I think it's amazing that, 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 that you know, Stephen McQueen's now doing so much TV, brilliant TV. I mean, you know, mm. whether, and whether we call them films or TV or whatever. <laughs> that's interesting that they're described as three uh, visceral, three films Feature in the series. TV events. Yeah, it's like, what are they? What are they? But it's just exciting that he is doing stuff. I think, I think he loves the fact that basically BBC One is he's going to get gazillions of people watching his stuff on BBC yeah. One it, compared to stuff that he's doing in the cinema. It's just a fact that he's, yeah. he has instant access to a mass audience, and that is really exciting. Uh, Do you see This Is Us is going to end with season six? Yeah. Hugely popular show that I've literally <laughs> never watched. No. I, 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 I watched it at the beginning, and it was great, but I didn't, yeah. Is it worth it? I know people who are I think you'd obsessed love it. with yeah. that show. Yeah. Yeah. If I keep thinking if I had time, I would I would watch it. Get, get back well, I think as I was going to watch it, I thought, well, this is supposed to be good. And someone who watched it says, oh, did you really enjoy Brothers and Sisters? And I was like, all right, fuck that. I'm not watching it now. Uh, but I'm yeah. actually thinking they're probably not really the same thing. So I mean, there are similarities. Um, it's, okay. it's, it's true to say. It's yeah. family melodrama, isn't it? So. Yeah. But it's the timeline thing that's the unique thing about This Is Us, isn't it? It's that it swaps between the, the different timelines constantly. Mm. Um but it is a really good show, yeah. I just need to go back and watch the last four however many seasons of it. Ellen DeGeneres' show oh, is, yeah, that's is ending, which has yeah. been... So obviously um, during lockdown, there were reports of a toxic uh, environment on her set and she said she didn't know anything about it. A couple of um, producers were uh, moved off the show and but there were so many reports um of people saying you know it was just a really uh, grim place to work but she always insisted she she wasn't aware of anything personally but i i was reading that she did obviously her first show back which had uh really strong ratings and then they just said they they kind of tumbled after that and um i think they're kind of the lowest they've been so far for her yet and and she seems keen to not continue i think it i think it was always going to be difficult that show if you think about it i sometimes have it i had it on um last year when they were showing repeats and it's a show all about it's that that oprah thing right it's about joy and it's about mm. emotion and it's it's like mad shot of happiness in the middle of the day and there's games and there's funny celebs on there and there's bits and and it's it to kind of taint that with this tox these accusations of like a toxic environment i think it's really difficult to come out of the other side of that when your show is all is meant to be all about happiness and and laugh, laughter and all of that so i, I think it always would have been tricky um, mm. and also those things come to an end eventually right like those shows yeah. anchored by a person they have 
they have a sweet spot. Mm. And but I thought her did you her the quotes from her interview that she did. I mean, just talk about living in a bubble of your own uh, making. Yeah. I mean, she she actually said, I've got it here. The quote: All I've ever heard from every guest that comes on the show is what a happy atmosphere this is and what a happy place this is. I'm like, yeah, your hugely famous celebrity friend guests coming on the show, they have a wonderful yeah. time. Of course they do. It's what goes on behind the scenes of your poor fucking crew and horrible, horrible bully atmosphere. That's what that that was what was going on. The idea that she actually said that, I find it so just depressing and terrible that you yeah. can't, you know, you can't, you can't imagine for a moment that actually everyone is on their best behavior for the guests and they're not going to see the, the, the grim situation for what it is. Yeah. And she, I think she, you know, she gave an interview on, I think she went on the Today Show and she kind of said that she felt like there was a campaign yeah. against her and that it was orchestrated and it was misogyny and all of this. Um, so I, I don't think I don't know if there's much self reflection going on. In terms of like... <laughs> I think that's the, that's an understatement. Yeah. Uh, what else has been happening in the world? Uh, Obi Wan Kenobi series has begun filming. Kiefer Sutherland is going to be in an espionage drama for Paramount Plus. We don't actually know the title of the show, but he's a he's a private espionage operative. Was this like a spy for hire? Anyway, he plays a character mm -hmm. called James Weir, uh, and he's in the midst of a battle over the preservation of democracy in a world at odds with misinformation, behavioural manipulation, and the surveillance state. So there you go. Kiefer Sutherland getting his spy on again. Um, what else? Oh, and Jamie Bell is going to be in Apple TV Plus's adaptation of The Shining Girls, the novel The Shining Girls, if anyone's met that. It's a uh, thriller based on a book by Lauren Bukes. I think the most exciting pro project um, that's coming up that was that, that there was stories about this week is this thing called The English, which is this um, Hugo Blick drama. He of Honourable Woman, Black Earth Rising with Michaela Cole and The Shadow mm. Line. And The Shadow Line is, the, is one of my favourite shows of all time. That I always forget is one of my favourite shows of all time. And often in our questions, with our, our list of questions, I, I must remember, because everything about The Shadow Line was fucking amazing. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Christopher Eccleston, Rafe Spool, Leslie Sharp, Stephen Wright. So his, anyway, this new project is called The English and it's a Western and it's going to be on BBC One and it stars Emily Blunt. Um, as someone who arrives in the West in 1890 and it's all about her being English coming to this kind of strange alien world and Tom Hughes and Ray Smaller in it as well and um, I'm incredibly excited about that. Any other news or are we finished? I think we're finished. Well, we move on now to this week's reviews and we begin this week with Innocent, the second series of ITV's Innocent uh, from unforgotten creator Chris Lang. Uh, but don't let that put you off because as an anthology show, there is no need to be up to date with series one. Uh, you've already heard, I guess, the ins and outs of this from Catherine Kelly herself. So let's jump straight in with what we thought. Terry, have you reached a verdict? <laughs> no, I have been racking my brains and for the fucking life of me, I cannot remember the first series of this. And it is in every single way, right up my street. So I am baffled. Either I watched all four parts of the season one and forgot, <laughs> or I didn't watch it. And I can't work out which one it is. So this is this was three years ago, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, as you say, created by um, Chris Lang, who writes it with Matt Orlich. And Chris, as you said, is the genius man behind Unforgotten. And I think he sees this as a similar approach which is each season he says is the same but different um which literally means nothing but um uh, <laughs> <laughs> so season one um i i read about it but i 
So I'm going to go back and watch this, basically, because either I, I watched it and wiped it completely out of my consciousness or I didn't watch it. Um, and the first series, you didn't know. The crucial thing about it was you actually didn't know if he was innocent or not. And so it starred Lee Ingleby, and it was basically he took seven years for the murder of his wife, and he gets out, um, and then the rest of the series, I think, because I haven't watched it or I've watched it and blanked, hmm. it, blanked it out, is... Did he do it? And if not, who did do it? It had great people in it. Hermione Norris, who I'm obsessed with, mm. beyond all reasonable approach. Um, now, season two, as you said, Catherine Kelly, we've heard from on this pod, who I am also a bit obsessed with. I think Catherine Kelly is an astonishing actor. I think people always remember her from Corrie, but, you know, we've talked about her before with Criminal. She's amazing in that. I think she is an absolute goddess and i think she's incredible this is her to a t um because it's pretty it's pretty dark i have to say so she plays and th- apparently the crucial difference even though i didn't interpret it this way they're saying that the crucial difference is you know she's innocent from the the opening episode i actually still thought there was some kind of doubt but anyway um she's innocent she's been in prison for five years um for the murder of a 16-year-old boy who was her student. Now, there were also rumours that she was having an affair with this boy, although she was never actually charged with anything. Um, The reason she was in prison was murder. What I think is actually a bit of genius about this show, and it's pretty radical, is you join them at this moment. So you join her at the moment of, of being proclaimed found not guilty during a retrial, and you can see, you don't know anything about this woman, but Catherine Kelly is so brilliant. And the reaction she has in the doc is fucking phenomenal. And the commitment Catherine Kelly gives to that performance is there. And she's already done so much job in setting up this woman and what's at stake, even though you barely know her. Um, and you are invested in her from the get-go. And you do believe that there's been a miscarriage of justice. Um, but what's, what I wanted to talk about is the what they don't show. So usually in a drama, and maybe, you know, usually in an ITV drama, is this is an ITV drama, right? It yeah. is. So usually, and maybe usually people would presume with an ITV drama, for example you would see all of the dreadful things that happened to her. So all of these massively awful things that have happened to her, you don't see any of it on screen. Mm. So she, her husband believed that she had had an affair with the student and clearly he did believe at some point that she'd murdered him. He did that and divorced her and met another woman. She was in prison for murdering a teenage boy, but also labelled a sex offender, even though she wasn't found guilty of anything. And there's a line where she just says, you know, there were moments of hell in there, especially being a sex offender in a prison with male guards, hinting that something dreadful will have happened to her. And you know that um, women who are committed, uh, who are convicted of sex offenders or have been accused of being so, there is more of, of danger in prison of those people being attacked and assaulted. And so she hints at this thing. And actually, it makes it so powerful because instead of you seeing her being brutalized in prison or, you know, being attacked, she plants this seed in your imagination and your head starts conjuring up like this hell and this darkness she must have lived in. Five years she served in prison. She lost everything. Nobody believed her apart from this one woman who runs the local paper who was her schoolmate, believed that she was innocent. Everybody thought she'd done it. 
that is a huge amount of like emotional backstory and you see none of it. And it's actually really powerful because instead what you're left with is this shell of a woman who's desperate to get some semblance of her life back. She feels everything was stolen from her, which it was. And again, I used the word classy earlier. I'm going to use it again. This is classy as fuck, right? Because <laughs> because there's none of that exploitation of all these emotional events in her past. You, you, They trust you to already know what she's lost, to know what that must have been like, to kind of imagine that hell for yourself. And I think really you imagine probably way worse than what might have happened to her. Um, and so it's really interesting because although it is about who killed this boy – Really, the story is of the complete decimation of this woman's life, of, you know, the woman she's been left as, what's been taken from her, the injustice of that. I loved this first episode. It's also beautiful. There's, like, lovely drone shots of, of the countryside. It looks gorgeous. It It is very much what you would expect from Chris Lang, and I, I do mean that. It, it could sit on any channel. There is nothing about it. If you are listening to this going... Like maybe a James Wood saying, I don't really want to watch an ITV, trashy ITV drama. This is a brilliantly crafted psychological thriller with incredible performances. I loved every minute. I'm going to go back and I'm going to find a um, season one and watch it. But I cannot wait to, to watch the other installments of this. I think it is fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 really, really good. It's just, I think, you know, when when you start off with Catherine Kelly's it starts off at the peak, as you say, in that when you, as soon as you're introduced to her in the courtroom where she's being acquitted, she's lit, she's she's kind of you know tears are streaming already. So she kind of starts at this peak of like recovering from trauma, as you say, whatever the hell has happened to her in prison, um, and the fact that she's going to have to go back to her this this town where everyone hates her and assumes she is guilty, when everyone thinks she must have slept with this teenage boy because people believe everything they read in the papers and the press, no matter even though she's been acquitted officially, all of that is there in on on her face in her in in the way she um, moves and communicates and talks, and she is absolutely phenomenal. I agree, she's up there, isn't she? With you mm. know the mm. very best, the proper the Saran Joneses and the proper, you know, the kind of royalty, British TV drama royalty, I think. And um, so she's brilliant. Um, I think the the kind of supporting characters, supporting cast, sorry. So Sean Dooley from It's a, of It's a Sin fame as the detective, he is like this real soulful yeah. kind of mm. um, traumatised guy who's been through something pretty bad himself. And instantly, and like, it, I think it really it brilliantly avoids the cliches and the expectations because you think, oh, you know, he might butt up against... Um, Catherine Kelly's character, but actually, there he's instantly kind of empathetic with her and kind of totally believes her seemingly. And um, I thought their their scenes together are brilliant, as you say, it's beautifully made using the the, the Lake District setting and everything. I think I think you know we are, it's like we're so we are uh, we are uh, I'm so pleased that you you were saying how brilliant it is because I watched it and I thought you know I'm up to episode three and I absolutely can't wait to finish it and find out what the fuck's going on because it's a it's incredibly riveting the mystery but as a character study and 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 talking about how people still don't still don't believe people even when they're found innocent is fascinating and powerful and it's just you know real really really kind of top level tv drama i think it's brilliant it's funny isn't it like my my shall we say somewhat bias against itv's dramas is pretty well documented on this podcast but it has to be said i think chris lang is the one thing like unforgotten i've always kind of been like oh itv and i'm like oh, unforgotten Do you know because unforgotten is 
triple A tier drama and it's on ITV so you can't tar all ty- ITV drama with the same brush at all and this is really really good like, I really like this I, I'll be honest I fess up I didn't necessarily want to review it because I was like oh it's series two of something I've never seen so I missed series one completely I'm so glad we did do this because this was another one I watched the first one I was like oh my god I'm definitely going to watch all this like it, it sucked me in properly A yes Sean Dooley was in there King Faltis from The Witcher lest we forget I'm very forget. excited to see him there yeah. Jamie Bamba yes. in there the CAG from Battlestar Galactica <laughs> loving it you know this is the greatest hits for me it's brilliant yeah. um, but also Jamie Bamba's new wife who's a proper arsehole. Oh, she's this. incredible, isn't she? Yeah. I was just like, oh my god, the lack of empathy in some of these. And the woman called, in the bank. And she's called oh, Karen. In the bank. Brilliantly. She's yeah. called Karen. She's called Karen as well. That was yeah. brilliant. But the thing I thought about this that works so well is that there's a sense of, and and you know, this is something that I I always think works really well in dramas. It's like that sense of just egregious miscarriage of justice, mm. the sense of sort of all-consuming unfairness of it all. And I think what Catherine Kelly brilliantly does in this is it's conveyed in every tiny micro-expression on her face, just the weight of the unfairness of everything that's been taken from her. And you just want it, watching this, you're so consumed by righteous fury in every single scene of it that it really like affects Mm. you it pulls you in emotionally um it's so so gripping and when they start with that and i love that kind of in media res beginning where you come in there and it's it's the retrial it's the verdict of the retrial they cut off all the setup you're right in there yeah. and i was waiting for the five years earlier you know thinking of you boy mm. doesn't come because no, that's yeah. not the story the yeah, story is about the aftermath of it and like that's genius like get right in there with this yeah it's really gristly and chewy and yeah it's 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 fabulous and it's on itv um but yeah it's very very good enjoyed that an awful lot uh innocent of course series two begins on monday may the 17th at 9 p.m next up this week we have the Nevers, a show that, as we've said before, is in no way connected to Joss Whedon, despite having been created, written, directed, and produced by <laughs> Joss Whedon. Uh, this takes us back to Victorian London, uh, where a section of society known as the Touched have developed unusual powers. Uh, this started airing in the US last month and is a 12-episode series. It's been split into two six-episode chunks thanks to pandemic production disruptions. But enough of that. Boydie, were you touched by the Nevers, so to speak? Wow. Wow. <laughs> So my experience of watching this was, frankly, that I watched it quite a long time ago, the first episode. They sent me the first episode for a kind of what do you think of this, you know, kind of thing. Um, And um, it was so unmemorable that um, when it came to reviewing it for this podcast, I had to watch it again. Um, Terry style. I've watched it three times, but I've watched it twice because I completely (laughs) forgot what the fuck happened. And... um, and then I remember that well, part of the reason why I forgot the fuck what happens because it's such it introduces about twenty characters yeah. and about a gazillion different subplots, and you're not sure what the main point of it is supposed to be. I mean, it's kind of focused on two characters, Amalia True and Penance Adair, played rather brilliantly, I have to say, by Laura Donnelly yes. and Anne Skelly. They are the they are the MVPs of this series. They are great mm. together. They're funny. They're entertaining. And these they are um, two of the touched, who are these women who have different powers and abilities um, uh, and, and all going back to some strange event that happened um, that has given mostly women, but not entirely women, various different powers. And every single one of these people, t- of the touched, has something completely different about them, a different power or ability or whatever. 
whatever um, that is unique to them. And you then get on top of them, you get people like James Norton camping it up massively. In fact, I think channeling Rupert <laughs> Everett as this pansexual, <laughs> posh, super posh aristocrat who runs a sex club. And so you have these, like, which is the excuse to have gratuitous boobage all over the place, frankly. Um, people, women wandering around topless. Um, and it is, you know, from the, I've only watched the first two episodes, but, you know, I thought that was a bit like, why, you know, why, you know, it's right. I'm all in favor of having seen Set in the Sex Club, but why are you only showing women naked, you know, in that context seemed to be an interesting creative choice um, by the director, who is Joss Whedon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you have like a guy, you have a surgeon played by Dennis O'Hare who's conducting weird experiments, disgusting experiments on these people. You have Tom Riley as James Norton's character's best mate, who's kind of quite wet and wimpy and pointless. Um, you have these British kind of pol- politicians who are somehow furious about the nevers, about the about the touched, the women who are the touched in a kind of X-Men style situation. X-Women, I guess um, it is. You have Nick Frost pops up as the beggar king who's yeah. in charge of like low-level criminals like in that Sherlock Holmes spin-off show that's quite similar actually <laughs> yeah. to this show. And um, don't forget don't forget Ben Chaplin oh, as a ben renegade Chaplin. cop with oh, a short I fuse. Mean, <laughs> yeah, it's never-ending. There's so much going on. It's too much. There's too much going on. But you know what? I watched the second episode because um, I think you told me to. I think we had a, yes. I had a pre... <laughs> Yes, and you were like, actually, it gets better. And you reviewed it in Empire Magazine, and you explained interestingly is that you said Joss Whedon left the show because of because of all the kind of stuff that he wasn't. Is that right? Is that well? Helen actually did the review. Oh, it was oh, Helen who wrote about it, but okay. no. So it wasn't specifically about that. So Joss Whedon stepped away from the show, and the statement was to do with exhaustion and pandemic and whatnot. Right. But obviously, you know, you only have to look at the litany of controversies that have okay. been dogging him of late to see that. You know, I, right? Yeah, I'm okay. not saying he was fired from the show. Sure. I'm saying that the show has taken steps to yes. maybe distance themselves from him yes. as a showrunner. Yes, um, and and the second chunk when that arrives will be um, the new showrunner. Um, yeah, is a woman, and, and I think it will be quite different. As yeah, to, I, yes. I would say that's true. I mean, it is it is telling that they have tried to distance themselves from him, but the, the credits of the first episode literally says created by yeah. like the first four credits are yeah. just Joss Whedon because yes. it's very much yeah. his show, and his fingerprints are on this and. We Weirdly, like the booby thing you mentioned, like it is excessively booby in a way that doesn't help the setting, the plot, no. the vid- like. It, does, it serves no purpose at all except to be salacious. Yeah, and I, I do think there's a little bit of, given the person involved with this, it takes on a slightly dirty yeah, feel creepy, to yeah, it, absolutely. which maybe isn't isn't yeah. so great. So I'm quite looking forward to from Philippa Gossett is the new show when she takes over in the second chunk of episodes. But yeah. anyway, despite all of that, I did I actually started to enjoy it quite a lot in mm. the second episode. Um, and I think, you know, I, 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 and you just kind of like decide, if you start worrying about all these different elements, all the different strands, and it is a mess. I mean, it absolutely is a mess. Um, there's no denying that. If, but if you stop worrying about it, then it's actually rather pleasurable. I found. And there's actually a lot of people, there are a lot of characters, there are a lot of performances that I really enjoyed. And but particularly Laura Donnelly and Anne Skelly, but you know even James Norton, I really enjoyed his performance as well. So I probably will carry on watching it, I think, because it's I think it was entertaining enough. And of course, it's got all the lavish costumes and settings and yeah. effects. Every now and then, actually, people I, I read one review that said that every every single shot is beautiful. I'm like, I don't think that's true. I think there are kind of mundane visual yeah. moments. So it's it's a bit of a mix. But nevertheless, in the end, it kind of won me over somehow, almost by accident. <laughs> but it is, as I say, a mess. 
you do have to press on with it. Like I remember watching the first one and being really disappointed and just thinking, oh God, this is bad. But actually, and I've watched almost all of the first chunk of this show now, a whole bunch of episodes, and and you do get swept up in it. And I think it, it, it wrong foots you initially, exactly as you said, because there are so many characters and there's so much going on the plot. And, and even as it plays out, the plot is at once quite murky and indecipherable, but also a bit vague. And you're not mm. really sure, even where I am, you know, like halfway through this, the whole run of it, like I'm not entirely sure where it's going because the plot's convoluted, but also a little bit hard to pin down. It's a little bit of, you know, elusive and maybe not that well conceived. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of characters, a lot of fun characters in there. And I think you are absolutely right. Laura Donnelly and Anne Skelly just knock this out of the park. They are fantastic. Anne Skelly, who, of course, played Ethelfled in Vikings. Um, but um, also the, the character names, Amalia True and Penance Adair. I tell you, I would very much like to marry someone just named Penance Adair. Just for that name, I will yeah, take that. The names that is are brilliant. good. Lavinia um, Bidlow. Yeah, it's Augustus just fantastic. Bidlow, yeah, that, that, Myrtle Haplish. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some really, really great names. There's a giant girl in it. The powers are really interesting. And sometimes when you look at this, you think, you know, this is a beautiful graphic novel kind of brought to the screen. And I really enjoyed that. Um, it's worth mentioning that, you know, all the Joss Whedon stuff, like the accusations around him are not specifically sexual accusations. Sure. It's mainly about bullying and abuse in that yeah. regard. So it's so when I'm saying like, you know, it's yeah, careful to to point that sure. out. But but yeah, I I think the boobiness of it is unnecessary. I think the story could have done with maybe tightening a little bit. I think ultimately what this comes down to is it's a lovely setting. You've got some lovely characters in it. It's beautifully rendered, some lovely costume design, and you've got that Whedon flair which he has always had for dialogue between characters and making it fun and sparky and full of energy. I think the story is a little bit lacking, certainly to where I am at the moment. I haven't seen it all, so I can't 100% say. And it does take a while to get going because you need to ground yourself in this world and all these characters. And I do think, you know, taking aside, you know, the problematic aspects of Joss Whedon, he's done some incredible work on TV over the years, you know, and in film, to be honest. But this is not peak Whedon, even if you take out any problematic issues around Whedon. Like, this is no Buffy, this is no Angel, this is no Firefly. You know, it's, it's sub-Whedon, but it's interesting. It's good. It's got great people in it. So I am enjoying it. I am still watching it. And I'm fascinated to see what the next six will look like without him in charge of them. But yeah, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll definitely watch all of this and see how it goes. Terry? This is like, it's Victorian Buffy, kind of, with some X-Men, X-Women. Um, I didn't hate it. So I'm really confused <laughs> because it isn't... Um, it's chaotic, like massively chaotic, massively contradictory, you know, calling that it's not very subtle in this kind of metaphor of, of, of women and what's done to women by a patriarchal society, calling them the touched. Just no. Um, and the powers are so like, oh, she can see the future. I can see how that would be uh, handy. And then there's just a massive tall girl. And we're not talking like six foot five. We're talking like 55 feet. And it's just so random. I, and that irritated me because there's, I don't feel like there's any narrative cohe coherence or greater point being made about those powers. Um, that bit, tall girl really bothered me. No offense to the tall girl, but I was like, now this is fucking stupid. And that's the problem is the I found the tone a bit weird because at times, like the scene... There's a scene where um, the tall girl first stands up and there's something about the, the way the dialogue's written, 
Um, she meets another girl who's basically fucking like speaking in tongues with a bit of Chinese and a bit of Russian, scaring the bejesus out of her mum, who is played by um, uh, Anne from Motherland, which I loved. Mm. Um, she uh, she was brilliant. So, and there's something about that scene which felt like what just kind of standard YA, but then in other scenes it was very booby, incredibly violent. So it didn't kind of, for me, it was tonally a bit all over the place. And it is a mess. But I tell you what, fucking Laura Donnelly and Anne Skelly are absolute fucking dynamite together. Like, they are so brilliant. They have this amazing chemistry. They're both so strong. Like, I love the scenes with them. I think they're absolutely fucking brilliant. But... And so I was like, re- I found myself quite compelled by it. And, you know, the, some of the action's done really well. Um, but d- I, this shouldn't be something that I like. This is like, <laughs> this is not my vibe. And I, and I couldn't kind of get Whedon out of my head either. Um, and so I didn't expect to like this, but I found myself really, really actually enjoying this, even when it was inconsistent and chaotic and contradictory and, and kind of... To your point, it, it it kept threatening to make an actual point about something. And then it was like it forgot and decided just to have a, a good old-fashioned dust-up instead. It, it kind of kept reaching out to try and say something and then kind of giving it up because it kind of hadn't worked out what it wanted to say. So I I think I might carry on weirdly watching this. Um, this is very odd. I don't know what's happened to me. Um, uh, I, bl- I blame it all on Laura Donnelly, I have to say. That seems fair. And mm. Yeah, their friendship is brilliant. It's so, mm. And it's so real and the affection between them is gorgeous. Um, mm. I just, I think that is kind of the, the thing that people are going to really love. Um, uh, but don't go into this looking for any greater meaning about, you know, uh, feminism or, or, or how we exist <laughs> within the confines of a patriarchal society because that, that ain't coming for you. Yeah. And that, that might be hidden somewhere among the boobs. Yes, and I do yeah. think, I think I wouldn't want, you know, if I had a, a young girl at home, I wouldn't want her watching this necessarily. Um but it's still a right bloody good time. So crack on, yeah. enjoy yourself. <laughs> the Nevers is well worth your time and it airs on Sky Atlantic on Monday, 17th of May at 10 past 10. The very specific time of 10 past 10. Finally this week, we have Channel 4 comedy, We Are Lady Parts. Um, while I can't help but feel somewhat bitter towards any comedy arriving on a channel that has egregiously and inexplicably cancelled Rufus Jones's home, this sitcom is nevertheless written by Nida Manzur and follows an all-female Muslim punk rock band. Uh, it's also a show that, when the link wasn't working for me this week, caused me to send our WhatsApp group the panicked message, I can't get the lady parts, <laughs> which works both as a cry for technical assistance and a sorry indictment of my love life. But enough about that. Terry, the link worked for you first time, so please tell our listeners about your lady parts. <laughs> God. Oh, okay. Jesus. So, We Are Lady Parts began life as a short and is now a full Channel 4 series. And John of Assam plays Amina, who is a PhD student, super geeky, 26, looking for a husband. Um, the setup, when it opens, it opens on this scene in her parents' house. She's on the sofa with her mum and dad. 
a prospective husband, um, a meeting is happened, and she says to him, oh, do you have any hobbies apart from worship? It's The writing is just bang on the money from the beginning. Um, she teaches guitar to underprivileged kids, but has this thing where she can't perform in public without vomiting everywhere. And yet still this punk band who are looking for a lead guitarist, um, uh, basically are desperate for her to join the band. Also um, in that band, you have uh, Sarah Camille, Camila, Sarah Camila Impey, who plays this kind of angry um, front woman called Sarah. You have a brilliant Uber driving drummer played by Juliet Motamed. Um, Aisha is her name. This, the best bit where she's driving this uh, these three or four lads who are talking about girls and it's just brilliantly observed from stuff like what would happen in an uber but what would happen in an uber if it was driven by a muslim woman um there is also a guitarist bismar who is played by faith amola and then their manager played by lucy shorthouse and it's so crazy but it's so radical to see a a female performer who wears a kneecap the entire episode and this is radical i have to say in so many ways both big and small it's so funny the writing is absolutely brilliant but also some of the stylistic choices they made so the way it's shot there's like slow-mo there's rapid edits there's split screen and that might all sound like a lot of stuff going on but it isn't it's like crafted really really well there's surrealism there's weird fantasy scenes there's riffs on kind of old-fashioned romances um and it's it takes all of these bits and all of these influences and riffs but use them in a really really clever way i found this absolutely hilarious i watched the first two episodes and it's partly because you really root for amina um but also it's just so well observed, the relationship between the women, um, the stuff they kind of do away from the band, some of the tensions, stuff around identity politics, stuff around culture. It's just, I loved every minute of it. I found it absolutely hilarious. And, and weirdly for something which on the surface, Muslim punk band, it has a real, real lightness of touch when it comes to things like identity politics, which, you know, with our current culture wars, quote unquote, it could be, this could have been really challenging in lots of ways or, or quite obvious in places, but it's so done so cleverly and with such a brilliant lightness. Um, I was completely and utterly won over, won over by it. And it's also just really really funny they really nail the gags and they really nail the writing and i think this is a brilliant brilliant um bit of telly and i can't wait to watch the rest and they all play their own instruments they do and make mm, their crucially. own music so they they actually and there are a few covers in there but all original music um and i think it's just yeah it's just brilliant proclaimers as being that proclaimers 
Yeah, yeah. no, love the proclaimers the in there. Man of Constant Sorrow with Sock Puppets was unexpected but amazing. There's loads of surreal little interludes which I thought were absolutely delightful. This genuinely, this had me within five seconds of starting, which mm. is very unusual for any show, let alone a comedy. But there's a Dementor gag and a Carl Drogo <laughs> gag within like the first 30 seconds. I was like, I am 100% here for this. And it is just so fucking funny. Her parents, like uh, Amina's parents are brilliant absolutely brilliant and this so funny um there's a there's a bit where they talk about a comic uh she's uh one of the band members has uh done a sort of a radical feminist comic called the killing period apocalypse fadge and it's just <laughs> there is just, there are really really good jokes all the way through this it's consistently funny the characters are really likable and believable yeah I, I i thought it was great and this is again it's a rare comedy where i'm like oh god i really want to watch this and i went straight from episode one into episode two of this because i just couldn't stop watching it I was like, nope, carry on, have to keep going. Um, really, really good stuff. Yeah, it's really, it, it's like, it's really joyful. I thought was the, was the thing about it, and it starts because it it, that opening scene with the with the two sets of parents and the and and, <laughs> and her and this prospective <laughs> husband is so brilliant. And you think, oh my god, it, it, it you know, can it really keep up, maintain that level? Because that's you know, it's such a perfectly um, uh, written and performed scene. It's so funny, and it introduces the characters so well. But then it maintains it. It kind of maintains that level of wit and charm. And um, I just think it's kind of and, and and it's like brilliantly, dazzlingly, dazzlingly put together. It did remind me, and I'm not saying this because this is also a comedy by a woman of color, but it did remind me of Michaela Cole's Chewing Gum, mm. and, and, and more in the style of it stylistically and in the pace and energy of it more than anything um and it has that thing where yeah it has these little interludes these fantasy sequences these these the it goes down goes down little little roads that you're not expecting but it, it all hangs together brilliantly with the characters and with the whole idea and and just the fact that you know she's managed to smuggle a series about a punk band a muslim punk band onto channel four 10 o'clock on a thursday night is just incredible because there's quite a lot of that music which again is kind of you know frenetic and joyful and and brilliantly entertaining so yeah it's an absolute triumph very very good indeed uh what else is out this week boy there are a few other things we uh, haven't covered aren't there well um, yeah Solos obviously drops on Amazon Prime on the 21st of May, which is a massively star-studded uh, collection of stories on Amazon, but it is embargoed, so we couldn't review that this week. Maybe we will get to it next week. Marvel's Modoc drops for its first season on Star on Disney Plus on the 21st as well, which has Patton Oswalt in as the megalomaniacal supervillain. Um, it's an animation, so we may or may not watch that at some point. Uh, what else have we got, Boydie? Trying season two, so yes, we had trying. Yeah, we had Rafe Spool and Esther Smith on the podcast last week. Um, uh, it, it carries on the story of th this brilliantly lovable couple living in Camden, uh, our spiritual home, um, uh, trying to adopt a child. And uh, we loved series one. And if you love series one, you're going to love this even more. It's even more funny, moving, emotional. They are brilliant together. So yeah, I I, I devoured because because of the before the interview, they sent me the whole series. I devoured the whole thing in basically mm. about one day um i love to try so, so so much so that arrives on apple tv plus on friday i think weekly annoyingly um some things you want to binge on and i think that could have been a good binge oh you know what there's a really good series starting on apple tv plus also on friday called 1971 which is a based on david hepworth um mm. who's a legend who worked on um magazines like q and um mojo and empire and heat and it's all based on his book about how 1971 was one of the most amazing years of music ever and that has turned into a lavish 10 parts series on Apple TV Plus starting on Friday as well. Oh, and there's a show called The Pact, 
which starts on Monday, which they're showing twice a week, which is a new Welsh crime drama that looks really good, actually. Laura Fraser's in that, and Julie Hesmond-Houch, who used to be in Carnation So that's got a really good cast. That's going to be really good. I think that might be it, yeah. So lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, oh, City on a Hill Season 2 is also back. Oh, yeah. If, uh, if you were interested in that. I think it's been cancelled since, actually. That's the Kevin Bacon uh, series. That's on Sky Atlantic on the 25th. Well, it's a good week for TV this week. What's our pick of the week? Oh, Innocent. Oh, innocent, yeah, Innocent. But close, oh, a that, close run thing yeah, in the I mean, parts. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's definitely great. those two. Like, I enjoyed the Nevers, but I'm not saying it's up on a level with the other ones. No. But uh, I'd suggest people watch all three because uh, some yeah. good stuff. Right, well, that is it for this week's show. If you haven't already, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, regardless of whether you are an Apple user yourself. Uh, our social media handles remain at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Uh, if you wish to be subjected to Terry's ongoing succession odyssey in real time, uh, we'll be back next week possibly to tell you about Amazon solos. Although what else we talk about remains to be seen, especially as Breeders returns for a second season next week. And I'm not entirely sure the podcast would survive the fallout from us going at each other over that one. Uh, but let's see what happens. Pilot out. Pilot out.